This summer, we have been walking together through Jesus' parables, taking some time to look at the, the stories that Jesus told that often appear in our Bibles in red letters. That's the whole reason we're calling the series Red Letter Riddles, looking at that some of our Bibles translate Jesus' words into, or list Jesus' words, I should say, in, in red letters. Typically, the parables, they're, they're stories with, with mixed metaphors aimed to teach those who are listening one or, or two or sometimes three truths about God's kingdom or about how we are to live and function in this world. This morning, we're looking at a parable called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you have your Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. I always encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. You can also use the Pew Bible. You can follow along on the screen as well. As we open scripture together, will you please join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word and for the opportunity we're given to open it together. And God, as we open our Bibles, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us. And Lord, I ask that you would take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So today's parable is the the second of two parables that Jesus tells while talking uh, with a group of Pharisees. And and remember, some of the times when he told parables, there was a, a kind of a bigger group a bigger group that he was speaking to, and then he would, would kind of turn and talk to a smaller group, usually his disciples, and he'd, he'd tell the story, but it would kind of be an earshot so everybody could hear what was, what was being said. It's almost as if there's, there's two different conversations going on. One with the Pharisees, and then, and then one with the disciples, one with those who walk with Jesus. At the end of Luke chapter 17, there's a, a group of Pharisees who, who confront Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, can you, you tell us when the kingdom of God is coming? And he gives what, what had to be a confusing answer both to them and to the disciples. He says, well, the, the kingdom of God can't really be mapped out on a calendar. In fact, it's already present. It's already present amongst you. Then he talks about how the the second coming of the Son of Man will catch everyone off guard. It will be a surprise. No one will know the time nor the place. And then we get to the two parables that he tells in in chapter 18. And they're, they're developed around this idea of the uncertainty of time. That we we can't know the time and the place of what God is up to. So how do we live? How do we act in today's world knowing that the kingdom of God is among us, but that that we won't really ever know the exact time or place of of Jesus' second coming? The first parable he tells us about how we pray with, with that uncertainty of time in mind. How do we pray unceasingly when we don't have the answers? How do we do that? And then we read, starting at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my, all my income. But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Haley, my wife and I spent the last couple of weeks traveling throughout the Pacific Northwest with our kids. Um, we spent some time together alone as a family and had some wonderful time just, just being a family together. And then we also spent some time visiting with some, some childhood friends of mine and some college friends of, of Haley's. It was really good to be able to get away for a bit. And, and for folks like, like Pastor John and Pastor Joanne and, and Ed and Julie and all of the folks who, who kind of poured in to the ministry here, uh, who, who's really kept the ball rolling through what's been an incredible, incredible summer of, of ministry while I was gone. It was good to, to get away, good to kind of really take a Sabbath of sorts. And it's also wonderful to be back. When our, when our family set out on this adventure, Haley and I knew that a vacation with young kids is more of a trip than, than a vacation. And as a dad who always wants to be in control, or as a person who always wants to be in control, anyone, anyone resonate with that? Right? When I go on trips, I, I plan where we're going to go, when we're going to get there, have everything mapped out. Anyone, anyone else want to admit to to being like that. I want to know where everything is, when we're going to be there. And, and when you travel with kids, none of that ever happens. This trip reminded me of how little control I, I really have. I, I was handed my first lesson in humility before we even got on our plane to get to Portland. It took a little bit longer than normal to, than we expected to pack our, our bags. And, and then there was an accident on the 405 and uh, we, we didn't get to the garage where we were leaving our car near LAX until 1 PM. We still had to take a shuttle to the airport to check our bags, to get through security. I've got three kids and our plane was supposed to take off at 2 PM. We had an hour to get from the shuttle to the terminal. The shuttle dropped us off. We quickly checked our bags. A nice airport employee ushered us through a long security line, and we ran through the terminal, arriving at the gate just as our number was announced. Needless to say, before we got to that space, I was saying words that a pastor really shouldn't say. And my, my kids were sitting there nervously saying, what is dad saying? How is he, he acting? What, what, they, they, you know it's bad when your kids are actually quiet. And they're just kind of looking, looking at me. And, and Haley is texting friends, asking them to pray for us. Oh, it was bad. It was, it was bad. And as I kind of slouched down into my seat with, with my son Thomas next to me, looking out the window for his first plane trip, I had two thoughts. First, if this is the worst thing that happens on this trip, yeah, it's going to be a great trip. And then secondly, shoot, my kids heard all those words. What sort of example am I, am I setting for them? They saw how poorly I handled my anger. All of a sudden, I, I was painfully aware of my own brokenness, of my, my own need for grace. I apologize to them later, and, and hopefully they'll remember the good parts of the trip more than the panic getting to the airport before the trip. But, but the truth is, whether it's our, our kids or someone else who loves us, 
despite seeing us at our worst. We all need folks in our lives to kind of hold up a mirror. Hold up a mirror so we can, we can see ourselves, so we can see the blind spots, so we can see our own kind of, ah, I'm not perfect. See our own brokenness. See, see the own places that we, we fall short. This morning's parable reminds us that humility is grounded in the recognition of our own brokenness and our own deep need for God's grace. I want you to to take a moment to think of a person that you know who you would say, yes, that person is a humble person. Take a couple seconds. Think of a person you know who is humble. You got someone? What are some of the qualities that make that person humble? This is the responsive time. That's why I'm walking down this way. What, 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 what make a person humble? That, that person that you thought of, what, what makes them humble? They listen. They listen. And what did you say, Dart? Actions, how, how they act. Anyone else? Compassion. Compassion that, they, that they have compassion. That, that they're what? That they're grateful. Yeah, that they're grateful. Any, anyone else? Anyone way from the back? Shout it loud. I know why you sit in the back. I can come over and walk right up to you. They're not judgmental. That's great. Anybody from the choir? They're what? They're giving. All, all, all wonderful things that, that make a, a person humble. When I, when I think of models of humility, I think of uh, my friend Vasco, who some of you met when he preached at my installation here. Um, I, I watched this, this man who's not a very, very large man. You all met him, those of you who were, were here uh, when he was here. Uh, I watched him humbly. I watched him humbly lead thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians in the country of Malawi and, and carries no pretentiousness about it at all. You know, I, I think that we can all think of, of different people in our lives and say, yeah, that, that person, that person is humble. And I think of the, the many folks around here at WPC who are kind of what I like to call the quiet servants. The folks who, who come in the middle of the week and, and do things around this campus that no one would really know what they do. There's, there's many of you, and, and thank you for that. I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts it in Mere Christianity. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. And I love the language that he uses because it's a little outdated, but I like it. He will not be a sort of greasy, swarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think of, of about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a, a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too. At least nothing, whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited, right? I'm the most humble person in the world. And I, and I, love, I love this line. The first step of acquiring humility is recognizing 
our pride. It's as Lewis says, taking the, the biggish step, kind of holding up that mirror and taking inventory of our pride, taking inventory of, of, of who, who we are in those dark times. In the parable that, that Jesus tells us, he warns of the dangers of pride right away. There's a religious man, a Pharisee, who, who walks into the temple and, and stands up and he prays loudly, boasting, God, thank you that I'm not like these other people. Robbers, crooks, adulterers, or even worse, a corrupt tax collector. I fast twice a week. I tithe regularly. Now, I'm, I'm a firm believer that we need to spend more time in prayer thanking God for what God has done. Usually we jump right past the, the place where we're, we're thankful to God and right to the place where we're asking God for something. So I'm a firm believer that we need to spend more time thanking God for what God is doing. But this Pharisee's prayer, though it almost starts like a prayer of thanksgiving or a psalm of thanksgiving, there's something different about the tone. It's almost as if he twists the prayer to say, God, you should be, you should be grateful for me. God, aren't, aren't, you, aren't you glad that I'm with you? God, don't you see how great I am? Don't you see how devout I am? Aren't you glad that you get to be my God? Today his words might be, God, thanks for making me not lazy. Thanks for, for making me honest and giving me a strong worth ethic. Thanks for not making me poor so I can give. Or thanks for making me a faithful Christian and not like one of those, those people who don't go to church on Sunday. He explicitly lifts himself up at the expense of others while pushing others down. We can even take it a step further. God, thanks for making me wise and not ignorant. Thanks for allowing me to be born in one generation and not another. Thanks for making me a man and not a woman. Thanks for making me an American and not something else. Thanks for making me one race and not another. Thanks for making me a Southern Californian and not someone from West Virginia. The Pharisee's prayer is full of pride. Kind of in this, this backhanded way. And if we're not careful, especially in a culture like today's, in an area like where we live where it's so easy to compare our lives to someone else, we can fall into that same trap. We can fall victim to the, the same lies that the Pharisee falls victim to, the same things that, that he believes about himself. Pride tells us that we can get by on our own merit. That, that we are good enough by what we do. And that we are better than other people. That we are better than, than those people that, that he lists or that, that we, we think of. When we compare ourselves to others, we run the risk of believing that we are better than the other. This parable, it unfolds in, in Israel's most holy place, the, the temple. And, and the two folks who show up to worship, they're on opposite sides of the social spectrum. The Pharisee, he's a respected social or respected religious leader. The tax collector belonged to one of the most hated professions possible. 
And because he's ashamed, the, the tax collector, he, he sits in the back, hoping that no one will notice him. He beats his chest and says, God, God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. He knows he's broken. That he can't get by on his own. That he's no better than anyone else. And one of the things I love about our Reformed heritage in the Presbyterian Church is, is the stated belief in, in total depravity. And, the, and that's really just a fancy phrase for saying, you know what? No one in here is perfect. We, we are all broken. We, we, we are all on a level playing field. We all need God's grace. It's the reason that we pray a prayer of confession every time we gather at the Lord's table and really most weeks in church. It's not to make us feel guilty necessarily. It's, it's, it's not to point fingers at, at others. It's to say, oh, God, where have I fallen short? Because God knows that we all do. The tax collector knows he's approaching a holy God. And he also knows that he's not worthy to do so. So he comes to the temple with, with reverence and humility. The approach that the tax collector takes, it, it reminds us to be humble. It reminds us to trust God. We don't need to have all the answers ourselves. We can't have all the answers ourselves. We are not self-sufficient when it comes to how we approach God. We don't need to get through the craziness of this world on our own. God is with us and God gives us a community to walk through life with. We need one another and we need to trust God. And the approach that he takes also reminds us that we're no better or worse than the other people in the world. We all struggle. We all need grace. Every single one of us. So my encouragement for us this week is, is, is pretty, pretty straightforward. As you interact with others, those who you know, and those who you don't, I had a, this morning when I was driving to church, I was, I was running a little bit late and, and, uh, had somebody drive by and yell at me. I think they yelled, they gave me a dirty look. Um, and, and I thought, Oh, all right, how, how am I responding to that person? How am I thinking about that person? Those, you know, and those you don't, those you share a lot in common with and those who you share nothing in common with. My charge to you is to be humble in your thoughts, in your deeds, in the words that you use. Aim to trust God and to recognize, to see in the other what God sees in the other as well. Let's pray. Loving God, we, we thank you for the reminders that come from Jesus' parables. God, help us to be a, a humble people, trusting in you and seeing others as equal. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.